Welcome to the Eastview Baptist Church Teaching Podcast. We're a church in Belton, South Carolina, who's committed to love God, love people, and build the kingdom. We're currently in a teaching series through the book of Acts titled To the Ends of the Earth, where we study the early church and principles that we can apply even today to our local churches. We pray that you will enjoy this podcast and that it would be beneficial and just leading uh, to, to new teachings in your heart. If you would, please like, share, and subscribe this teaching to make it more readily available to those that you love. We love you, and God bless. So today we are going to be uh, in Acts chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and flip there. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we're picking up where we left off last week. Uh, So last week... We looked at what would be the official first sermon in the church. Uh, We saw back in chapter 1 that that Peter taught a bit, but this time, actual text, and he's got like bullet points, right? I think Peter was a traditional traditional Baptist because he had three bullet points and three sets of Scripture that correlated with those three bullet points. So last week we looked at Peter's very first sermon. You guys are particularly quiet today. Are we okay? The rain got us down a little bit. Right? I don't even hear motion in here, right? No movement, no nothing. You guys are quiet. Uh, So Peter starts the very first sermon uh, last week. Today we end on the tail end of this sermon, uh, heading into uh, what is to come. Uh, So everything that precedes is the formation of the church. Right? I don't know if you're familiar or not, but today is, in fact, uh, if you follow the church calendar, today is Pentecost. So the day that the sermon that we read about last week and conclude today, today is that day. Right? Today is the day that the Holy Spirit filled this upper room gathering and the church grew legs. Right? It was no longer just in the heart and in the mind. It was at this point in time that Jesus told them, you wait, the Spirit will come upon you here in Jerusalem, and then do what I said, go to the ends of the earth. Right? Make disciples of all people, all nations. So this week we pick up, and we're going to actually start reading. Uh, if you will, stand with me real quick. We're going to start reading at verse 36. Uh, if you're not able to stand, I promise it's okay. Okay? Uh, so once you, once you have chapter 2, verse 36, again, please just, just stand with us as we read uh, the Word of God together. So chapter 2, verse 36, it begins and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone, everyone, whom the Lord Our God calls to Him. And with many other words, He bore witness and continued 
to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I'm going to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just pray that today we be a people, God, who are unified and called to the same power that we're reading here in the early church, God. I just pray that we would be a people, God, who are set on You, that have our minds, our hearts, our focus on You above all things, God, that the world has an idea, Lord, and the world has a way of trying to promote its idea into our heads, God. And I just pray that we be a people that keep You first and foremost, God, that we be a people who are called and empowered and enlifted by the Holy Spirit, God. We pray these things in, in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. So, we pick up here again on this beautiful Memorial Day. Anybody get the sarcasm? It's a little, it's a little rainy and dreary outside, Right? But guess what? We're all above ground, so it's a beautiful day to be gathered in the house of the Lord. So it is a beautiful day to be gathered together here on Memorial Day to really pause for a second on the sacrifice for the men and women who have died for this country to make what you're doing right now possible. What you're doing right now, gathering to celebrate the name of Jesus Christ, gathering to uplift our, our graduates and just say, good job. These kind of public gatherings, these aren't a right. These are a gift. Right? And men and women gave their lives for this country for us to be able to gather and do just this. Right? So this morning, again, just keep that in our minds that today, on both Memorial Day and, and Pentecost, today is bifold. It is a day committed to sacrifice and a day committed to remembrance. Right? We remember those who died for us and most importantly, not to take away from them, we, we gather to remember the one who died for all. Right? So, I know what you're thinking. Right? You're like, are you a mind reader? Yes. I know exactly what you're thinking. What is Pentecost? Right? This is a word, this is a phrase, an event. Eh, I've kind of heard about it, but like, what? what? Why? And if we're being honest, let's go ahead and address the, the elephant in the room just like we did last week. Pentecost has been, by a certain sect of people uh, in the Christian faith, Pentecost has kind of been overtaken by them. right? And we've allowed their idea of Pentecost to mirror or change what our idea of Pentecost may look like. And in reality, if we would both just kind of hush and listen to God, we would see that it's all one God, right? And one unified event that is Pentecost. This is the gift, the promise, the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. But even more importantly, Pentecost was an Old Testament Jewish tradition, right? And that this was a day of sacrifice and remembrance. And Jesus... The Christ, the Messiah, Christos, died, in fact, so that we would have a one final sacrifice, a one final substitute to die in our place. No longer do we have to gather every year and, and kill goats and doves and different animals out on the, on the, on the, on the temple steps. 
right? And the really, the really egregious sacrifices having to happen within the temple. No, once and for all, the sacrifice was poured out on the hill that is Calvary, on that dreaded Golgotha that Jesus took and gave new meaning. Once and for all, that sacrifice was made for you and for me. And this sacrifice of Jesus is not something that we would come together and take lightly or that we would come together and sit like knots on a log. Guys, this sacrifice is one that we would be encouraged and uplifted by. If you can hear about the sacrifice of Jesus and sit null and void, maybe we have to examine what Jesus means in our hearts. See, I've said this before. Either Jesus is your everything, or to you, He means nothing. Let that one cut us to the core. So I want to I help you to understand what Pentecost is, right? And we'll, we'll take it through uh, the different covenants to bring it to where we are today. Uh, and where, where it was in the original covenant here with the Jews, uh, yeah, where it is here in the, the Mosaic covenant, we see from the book of Leviticus, and I've got uh, four verses of Scripture I want to read for you real quick. Leviticus 23, uh, we're going to read 15 and 16, and then 21 and 22, uh, if you're a note taker and you just kind of like to have these things. From the day after the Sabbath... This here Sabbath that is referred would later become the Sabbath that Jesus has killed the day before, right? Uh, That from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. What it took us to yesterday. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh day. Sabbath, bringing us to today, Pentecost. This is after the Passover. And then present an offering of a new grain to the Lord. How interesting that we've been studying on Wednesday nights this idea of grain, right? And what it meant in this time. And grain is one of the things that sustains us all. Maybe you say I have a gluten intolerance. Well, you're you're still getting... Grain of some sort, right, in your life. We continue in verse 21. On that same day, you were to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. The Sabbath. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When's the last time you actually Sabbathed, guys? Stop. No work. Just living in enjoyment with your mind, your heart focused on rest in the Lord. Verse 22, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I'm the Lord your God. So he says, Yahweh. This promise is sealed with His name, Yahweh. Jesus, at the ascension, sealed the new covenant once and for all. Uh, Wednesday night, I'm not going to lie, you may have missed me singing. It wasn't good. 
But I did, I did sing a little, a, little, a little ditty about a particular song, signed, sealed, and delivered, right? Uh, so Jesus effectively did, in fact, sign, seal, and deliver our final Passover, our final Pentecost. That in Him we had a once and for all sacrifice. In terms of of the world around us, it's a one size fits all. And guess what? It actually does. Unlike the things that we make today, one size fit all. He brought together the call for a unified feast that was to last through all generations until He is to return. This final sacrifice calls for a testimony of a life lived in love. Everything that Jesus did from birth to death to resurrection to ascension was done in love for us. This kind of love is one that we're not capable of. It's called agape. It's a love without expectation. It's a love with no uh, with no idea of a return, right? There's, it's done with no ROI. There's no return on investment. Except to have His people be called under His name. And He did it willingly. And He did it in love. So here on this very first New Covenant Sabbath, right? this New Covenant Passover, this New Covenant uh, Pentecost, Jesus gave our lives new meaning. And everything that you're about to see in our passage of Scripture as we study it together here, uh, really came from the conviction moment of, of Peter's sermon. And Peter's conviction moment of his sermon came back Acts chapter 2, uh, picked up at verse 21, and it said, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was Joel uh, 2.32. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In other words, it was done for the providence. It was done for our good that no matter what we do, or where we try and take our lives, that He has the final say. Right? And you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Verse 24, God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. So this Jesus who would come and die for all, died in order to take the sting Away from death. How unfortunate it is, guys, that we have a tendency to become so earthly focused that for believers, when you take your last breath here, yes, we are to remember their lives, but that is the most important and the most encouraging final, final moment, guys, that, that can possibly happen in our lives. That when we take this last breath in this life, It is our first breath into eternity. It is our first breath connecting us once again to God the Father as we were in the garden. The death sting has been taken away. 
And so we pick up uh, today in verse 36. And it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. See, this is very important to hold on to. That he is both Lord and Savior. All too often, and unfortunately in, in far too many lives, he's one or the other. Right? We'll, we'll Lord, allow him to Lord over us or... Uh, have some set of rules that we feel a moral obligation to accomplish and live by. But there's no conviction that makes Him that person's Savior. And on the flip side of that, unfortunately, there are far too many people that look at Jesus as a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's just their Savior. In other words, He just... What, what, a, a, what a wicked thing to say. But He just came to die so that you could have new life. How unfortunate is that? How wrong is that? That we wouldn't see Him as Lord and have His appointed commandments to direct and guide us in our lives, but we would think that He is just a magic genie that we could rub a vessel and somehow or another we could do whatever we want, but we somehow magically make it to heaven. That's a skewed Jesus that we have made in our image. Family, we have to remember that we are made in God's image, not the other way around. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What we have right here is the very first invitation. Right? This is the very first invitation that ever occurred in the church. Peter, see they don't have this pre-established way of doing service yet, right? Peter preaches this first sermon and he goes, I don't know, I don't know what happens from here, right? But people come to him and say, Peter, that Jesus that you just spoke of, that Jesus that you lived under, that Jesus that you betrayed and still called you His own, how do, we, how do we have that Jesus? How can we connect with that Jesus? And what we have is, is literally the very first invitation that Peter says, as we follow in verse 38, and Peter said to them, number one, repent and be baptized. Repentance. How many people have heard the word repentance before? Throw your hand up. Alright. Don't look around. How many people, if you were to stand before a court of law right now, could actually give an accurate depiction of what the word repentance means? Okay, so there we go. Now now let me help you guys together. (laughs) What we have in verse 37 is a highlight of our need for a Savior. Right? The people heard the Word of God and said, how can I have that Jesus in my life? Well, what we have in verses 38 and 39 to follow are the mechanics of salvation. I got to go on a visit this past week and we had this conversation kind of beforehand, right? Is that we as human beings, we... I don't know if you believe this or not, we like to overcomplicate things. Amen? A lot. But yet we don't read the microwave instruction because we know we know how to work that thing, right? But we like to overcomplicate everything else. 
And we have effectively overcomplicated what it means to follow Jesus. How a person can have that Jesus in their life, in their heart. And then the first step of this is, is again, this word repentance. And it's the Greek word metanoia. And more importantly, to repent, right? It means, check this out, repentance is to change one's mind and turn back to God. To change your mind, to stop being worldly focused and turn back to God. What this illustrates is that we were, in fact... Anybody familiar with the Garden of Eden? Okay, you guys are just... I'm going I'm to talk, right? And maybe a few of you will, will, will feel convicted by the Spirit today. But we, we, when we look at the Garden of Eden, we see that we were made to study, to follow, and to worship God. Repentance is to say, my ideas don't... They're not... They pale in comparison they're not important enough to put them in the first priority anymore. Repentance is to change your mind and to turn back to God. It is a true belief that comes with a side effect. That's what repentance is. right? It's a, a true belief where you are no longer your own belief system, but we place God in His role of significance and importance. Step number two, be baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of sins. Had this conversation with people before. Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? No. But if you are a living, breathing Christ follower who has life and has breath in your lungs, the way that you make your outward sign that you follow Christ Jesus is through baptism. See, in the Old Testament, the external covenant, right, the external proof of your covenant with God or Yahweh came in the form of circumcision. All right, we've addressed that. In the New Covenant, right, this external sign comes through our baptism. In other words, if you are on your deathbed and you proclaim Christ Jesus with your tongue after you have believed in Him in your heart, we don't have to sprinkle you just to, to check off a checklist, right? Again, just as we said, we have overcomplicated what it means to follow God. Step number three. And this is a promise, again, to all people. When you have believed, the first step of repentance, when you have believed, right, and you've began to change your way of living, you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, is the receptance or the receiving of the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that, that Jesus promised at the end of the book of Luke, then it promised again twice at the beginning of our book study of the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 5 and verse 8, that we would wait on Him and receive the Holy Spirit. So when we have confessed with our mouth after we have believed in our heart that He is Christ and Lord, in other words, He is Lord and Savior, and we've baptized for the forgiveness of all of our sins before during and after, right? 
then we can receive the Holy Spirit. Look at this, uh, verse 38 and 39. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man, it wasn't contractual. It wasn't set or obligated to one particular sect of people. No. If you repent and you're baptized, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Hey, y'all remember back in John 3.16 when it said, whoever believe in Him, whoever... I hope that if you're sitting here listening to the message of Christ Jesus this morning, that you are a whoever. Whoever would believe in Him would have new life. So here... What I need you to do is hold on to this, these two verses, and remember what Peter says now, right? While it's fresh, and while he's convicted, because later as we study the book of Acts, remember Peter has a tendency to, to really do or say before he thinks, right? So later when we're studying the book of Acts, Peter and Paul are going to have a bit of a face-off all over these different ceremonial laws, right? Or who you can eat with, who you can't eat with. It would have been great if Peter, during this altercation, would remember his own words, right? For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Not just Jew, not just Gentile, but to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. In other words, for the Jew first are the people who were raised into the initial covenant of God and then come into faith through the new covenant that is the blood of Christ Jesus. So Jesus here becomes your Lord and your Savior if you follow the three simple steps. Right? No overcomplication. No... No, no rigmarole, no hoops to jump through, that He becomes your Lord and your Savior. Verse 40 picks up, And with many other words, He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Hey guys, Man, y'all all picked your head up right there. That was, that was pretty neat. As we're studying our parables and we see Jesus in His altercation uh, with the Pharisees, we, we keep repeatedly seeing Jesus say things and we go, those are fighting words. So Peter, here with this new church, right, this new covenant that is in Christ Jesus, and He says... Do we think, as we've studied the New Testament, that the Pharisees and Sadducees probably have witnesses inside this room? Absolutely. They, uh, they're rather sneaky. And Peter 
exhorts, again, with many words. That's a pastor's dream, by the way, right? He's like, Peter's like, and I got to go on, and they held on, right? And I wasn't confined to a time restraint. That's the pastor's dream right there. And Peter still had them. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And as he does, he surely probably stares a Pharisee or a Sadducee right into their, right into their heart as he says this. And what follows now is, I want, to, I want to practice this one with you guys. All right, y'all ready for this one? I want you to say it. I want y'all to, to prove you're alive right now, okay? Koinonia. All right, that was weak. All right, coin. Ania. Koinonia. There we go. You're alive. I'm glad to see we're all here together. Right? So in verse 42, we pick up, and we're going to be introduced to this theme of koinonia. And they devoted themselves. Remember this theme we repeatedly see here in the early parts of Acts, that they were all gathered together with one accord. They have one focus in mind. So in verse 42, they devoted themselves. They have one focus in mind to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship or the koinonia, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Family, they have one focus in mind, and that is how to live life like Christ Jesus. Everything that they do, everything that they say, revolves around proclaiming Christ Jesus. They exalt Christ and Him crucified. And verse 43 picks up, uh, really taking the heart of what we saw back in verse 37 when they were cut to the heart. So verse 43 we pick up and it says, And all came upon every soul. Remember back in verse 37 they were cut to the heart. Well what I need you to understand this word all, your translation may say fear, and fear came upon every soul. This is the Greek word phobos. And what this is, is back uh, in, in... when we see Jesus walking on water, anybody familiar with that story? What did they think Jesus was? A ghost. And what filled their hearts? Fear. Phobos. So fear, in other words, a fear of God. This is a very particular kind of fear. This is a very particular kind of awe. Right? That they have God in mind here. And all came upon every soul. And when they were convicted, right? And when they had this kind of awe and fear of God, look what happens. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. In other words, when God takes over, things change. Amen? When God takes over, things get different. Jesus had a very similar encounter And it was back in his hometown, if you don't remember, back in Mark chapter 6 and his verses 4 through 6. And we see that Jesus, not from a lack of ability, but from a lack of faith in his own hometown, doesn't do signs and wonders. 
Why? Because they don't have a fear. They don't have an awe or a connection with God. I think that this verse is really prevalent when we think of our prayer lives. Right? When we put names onto a prayer list, simply with the intention to say, uh, let's check off a box and let's put them on there. If you want to pray for someone and you don't actually follow through with it, right? You don't actually connect with that person and pray for that person. What you're doing is done in vain. And maybe we do it because we've prayed for somebody before and, and then nothing changed or it didn't happen the way that we wanted it to happen. And I'm reminded of the fact that no matter what we did, no matter what terms we took, God had providence and made all things work together for His good. Again, family, we have to remember, we are made in God's image, not the other way around. So maybe we've stopped praying with intention and praying with intentionality because we don't have that same all. We don't have that same fear anymore. We haven't allowed that conviction to really register with us. And instead, we put it on a prayer list in hopes that somebody else might have it. Are we still praying for those people individually? It is beautiful and it is all working to come together and corporately pray for someone. But do you have the faith in your own heart and in your own mind that when you pray that God's will would be done in that situation? Verse 44, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That one, that one's kind of hard, y'all. Anybody, anybody real proud of the things they have? Here's my question to you. Do you have things or do things have you? We make excuses. What was done by the, the soldiers who gave their life for this country, what was done by Jesus on the cross are done because they are they're cheerful givers. Unfortunately, we have a way of living now where we give what we're comfortable with because it feels like an obligation. I promise Whatever we pour into the kingdom, God will multiply and advance increasingly. And we can't give in a way that says, be this our time, our finances, our abilities, whatever it is. We can't give in a way that says, I want to give, but only to a point that makes me comfortable. It was very important to see back in Leviticus, right, when the Pentecost feast was set up. Follow this. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wherever you live, when you reap... I don't, Caleb, stop right there. Follow this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am 
the Lord your God. If I can be honest with you guys, we like for Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our life and everything except our finances. Yeah. That one hurt. That one convicted. How can we trust Him to save us from, from, from sin and death, but we can't trust Him that if we give the way that He called us, that He won't make provisions and make it all work together. Yeah, that one, that one hurts. Jerry Bridges, who uh, was one of the innovators of this thing called the Navigators, and the Navigators was an early book of commentaries and, and lifestyles. Jerry Bridges says, It is not the fact that we are united in common goals or purposes that makes us a community. Rather, it is the fact that we share a common life in Christ. Ouch. Jesus to you is either your everything or to you he means nothing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all and as any had need. Alright guys, what this does not mean these were the first communists. No. They gave from a cheerful heart. They gave with generosity, not because the government called them to do it, but because Christ convicted it. What is the, the true sign of salvation? To be a cheerful giver with all that we have. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... Every single day they gathered together, they had what is called the agape feast. In other words, this is a communal meal that they share together. And they share the Eucharist, or the breaking of bread, what we call communion. And they did it every single day. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God. How did they do it? From a heart of praise. And having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Every single day, they're living like the body of Christ. And every single day, the church is growing. I'm, I'm just saying, guys. Day by day, they lived together. They lived in a way that shined all the attention and focus on Christ Jesus. And day by day, the church grew. Maybe there's something we can take from that. To close, again, maybe you're here today and you've never made the, the decision to follow Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you realize you have yet to lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Don't leave today with those things. Don't leave today with unforgiveness. Don't leave today wondering where you will spend eternity. Romans 10, 8-13. I'm going to read it for you real quick. I'm going to come on up.
how do how how to be saved, right? How can we be saved? That was the first thing that this early church asked Peter. And again, we got I got to have this conversation with a couple ladies uh, on a visit. And it, it's really simple. Believe in your heart, which comes with repentance. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and Savior. So Romans 10, 8-13. But what does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you dare, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And as Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Dear Heavenly Father God, we're just so thankful today to be able to gather together, Lord, to celebrate You, to, to just talk of the goodness and Your glory and what it means in our lives, God. And I just pray that today, God, if there's anybody in here, Lord, that, that doesn't know You as both their Lord and Savior, God, that today be the day that they nail that down, God. I just pray that today would be the day that they make that public walk, that public proclamation of faith that You are both Christ and Lord of their lives. We pray these things in your heavenly glorious name. In Jesus' name, amen.